Are you a victim crippled by the minotaur in the labyrinth of your mind? Or will you fight your biggest challenges like Theseus and fulfill your potential? My name is Zulfakar and welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. Welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. My guest today is a leadership consultant for Muslims, a public speaker and a fellow podcast host, Mr. Osama Musa. Osama, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Assalamu alaikum wa barakatuh. It's absolutely an, a pleasure and an honor to be here today on your podcast. Uh, obviously, we had you on my podcast recently and now we can uh, be on your podcast. And inshallah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Brilliant. Uh, well, like I said, thank you for being here. So for those people that don't know who you are, in, in just as quickly and as briefly as you possibly can, can you just give us a quick history about who you are and uh, what you do? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is uh, Osama Musa. And uh, I'm originally from Palestine, uh, but been raised in the UK uh, my whole life. And um, I'm a uh, leadership consultant for Muslim business owners and CEOs. So I'm all about empowering Muslim CEOs to increase and improve employee engagement to effectively cut costs and improve revenues and, you know, just improve the, the, the systems and processes within their business and help them over a 12 month period achieve uh, the next stage, the next phase and growth within their business, alhamdulillah. And the reason that I uh, choose to work with within the Muslim community, uh, first of all, because I'm a Muslim and I love being Muslim and I love working with Muslims. Uh, second of all, I feel like there are many stereotypes around uh, Muslim business owners and Muslims as a whole when it comes to the trade and business. And I feel like um, it's a stereotype with some truth, of course, but I feel like if we want to see the change, we need to be the change. And I feel like um, with the up and coming rise of the amount of Muslim business owners that are not as traditional as our parents and our previous uh, generations, uh, we can make that change, inshallah. And um, yeah, man, I'm just about uh, being somebody who can serve the Ummah in any way possible. So this is my way of serving the Ummah and giving back to the community. Alhamdulillah. Brilliant. So uh, my podcast, it, it reaches a wider audience. So, so for those of you that don't know what the Ummah means, um, that's the uh, name for the Muslim community uh, around the world. Um, so how, how did you get started? It's like, what was your background before you, you did what you do now? And, and how did you come about into this uh, field? Okay, so um, first of all, um, uh, now that I'm aware, obviously, we aren't just uh, dealing with the Muslim audience. We have a wide audience. So if I use any words that um, you may not know, inshallah, who were God willing, I will try and um, translate them. Um, yeah, so my journey, ever since I was younger, um, I always wanted to uh, be a businessman. Obviously, in my early childhood, it was all about uh, football, being a footballer, a pilot, or um, uh, an imam, uh, which is like a sheikh, uh, uh, someone who leads the prayers and, and gives the dawah. Um, you know. So, alhamdulillah, that was early, early on, but... Ever since I was about 10, 11 years old, I just knew I wanted to be a businessman. I didn't know what that meant, what that entailed. I didn't know how that looked. I just knew that, you know, I wanted to have my own own business. So in school, I started the old, uh, good old confectionery business, buying and selling sweets and drinks and whatnot. And that was good. Um, and then as I went into uh, college, I started the football coaching business, which didn't last long because I didn't have any badges and I didn't have first aid. So having a bunch of kids in a park on a Saturday morning, uh, there was a little risk there. 
Um, and then I went into uh, the events world and I started uh, three different events companies. Funnily enough, all with the same name, just rebranded. Um, and then we ended up doing, we went from doing music events to celebrate fundraising events. And then we did the corporate events. Uh, we actually stopped the business just before COVID hit. So the turn of 20, was it 2020? 2020 when COVID hit, wasn't it? Yeah. The year of COVID, just before that, like January, we decided to uh, stop operating the business and stop trading for a little while um, because we uh, made some big mistakes, uh, big learning learning curves, big lessons to be to be learned. And um, just after that, we decided to stop. I went into full time work for the Asian Media Group doing sales. Um, and all before this, I was always dibbling and dabbling in different businesses, different things. I you know I had marketing agencies and I had different things just always trying to be an entrepreneur trying to make something happen trying to make my own way in life um and along with that i was always working in hospitality anyway i've got a hospitality management degree i was a manager at 19 so i had these leadership traits and leadership qualities and then when covid hit i was like right covid is a make or break period right you're either going to be somebody who sits at home making the most of the furlough making all this money and just you know relaxing playing ps4 or 5 or whatever it was and don't get me wrong, for the first three months of uh, COVID, I did all of that. You know, I didn't do any work. I was just chilling with the boys. It was, it was a holiday, wasn't it, for, for the first period? And then I was like, right, what am I actually doing here? I've got all this time on my hands. This is, you know, it's not going to happen again. So I started um, signing up to all these coaching programs. Obviously, you know, you had all this money to spend, right? So you started signing up to all these coaching programs and all these <laughs> online courses and all these different things trying to learn. So I, I, I really excelled in my marketing knowledge, in my sales knowledge, in my business acumen. I improved in all these areas. And then um, uh, I've always been told that I'm somebody who could be, who's a good coach, who's good at motivating people. I've always wanted to be a motivational speaker in the future. I've always said I'm going to be a millionaire by 40 and a motivational speaker by 40. I just don't know how I'm going to get there. It's all about the journey, right? You don't know what the journey looks like, but that's the, that's the fun part. And then, um, subhanAllah, it just so happened that... Um, one of the coaches I worked with was like, hey, man, let's look at your passions. And my passions were my religion, leadership, and business. So the best way to put all three together was to become a leadership consultant, which is basically a business consultant for the leadership teams within businesses, which is why I work with the Muslim CEOs or business owners, because that has all my passions into one. If I could work within the football space, then that is all my passions, literally, in one, but I do football coaching on the side, so that you know that's covered, and I play football, and that's how I uh, got to where I am now. And I think people always ask me this, so I'm just going to preempt. Maybe you might ask it, so I'll preempt it from now. What qualifications do you have to become a a consultant for business <laughs> or for a leadership consultant? I wasn't going to ask you that, but you go ahead. <laughs> yeah, especially given my age, and a lot of people say this, and you know they have a right to ask this. And I think one of the unique selling points that I have is that. The amount of times I failed in business gives me the credibility to be able to know what makes a successful business run and tick. Because I've built successful businesses, maybe not multi-million pound businesses, but I know what it takes to build a successful business and I know exactly what it takes to avoid, or sorry, I know exactly what to avoid to not make a business go crashing down. So, and because of all the knowledge that I've gathered in the last two or three years from all the books that I've learned, uh, studied or read or, you know, courses that I've signed up to, I've now, you know, I've pretty much got a master's in, you know, an MBA in business without the MBA certificate. 
So Alhamdulillah, and I'm working with a few businesses that I've helped, um, you know, get much better results in the last 12 months. Uh, one being my mum's business. Uh, she was one of my clients. And yes, I made her pay so that she would do the work and implement the strategies. And Alhamdulillah, her business is, uh, in the first three months of this year, has already made more money than she's ever made in 12 months previous years. So Alhamdulillah, you know. Um, and that's, you know, a little bit about my, my journey. And just a quick disclaimer, because obviously you're going to have non-Muslims watching this, inshallah, um, I don't just work with Muslims, but my marketing is for Muslims. So it's a difference. People are like, why do you only work with Muslims? I don't just work with Muslims. If a non-Muslim wants to work with me, then we can work on their business as long as it's within halal confinement. And I'm not going to work in a business that does things of interest or serves alcohol or any of these things. But if it's a business that falls within the requirements that I would look for, the criteria that I would, you know, base a, a business upon, um, then I'm happy to work with them. But my messaging, my targeting, you know, is for Muslims. So then I can appeal to my target audience the right way. You can't be you can't be somebody to everybody, right? You have to be one person to one particular thing. So, alhamdulillah. Sorry, I'm really good. Yeah, at I mean, I think the. the... Yeah, so I think the people who understand business and marketing will will understand that because you know that's you know pick as they say the riches are in your niches. <laughs> but yes. um, you know we'll we'll go into that. But before we go into that, you know, obviously the the theme of this podcast is 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 the Minotaur story, and um, I don't know if we touched upon it on on, on your podcast, but um, essentially you know the Minotaur, the half bull, half uh, man beast that's residing in the maze. For me, that's a metaphorical uh, story. So we all have our internal minotaurs and we have our external minotaurs. So, you know, internal minotaurs are fears, doubts, insecurities. Externals are, you know, obstacles, challenges in life. Um, so for you specifically, like, let's deal with some of your internal minotaurs. Like, what would you say are in that journey of yours? You know, what were some of your bigger internal minotaurs um, and, and how did you overcome them? Or are you still uh, kind of struggling with them? Okay. One of my biggest minotaurs that I'm still dealing with today is being able to accept success. And that's monetary success. Okay. I have a threshold, and I'm, I'll be happy to admit this, you know, because um, it's the truth. I have a threshold of hitting a certain number in revenue for any of my businesses. Once I hit that number, I don't exceed it. And I've uh, right. had somebody recently who's a hypnosis and mindset coach um, who is actually working with me on this because... It's not that, like, I'm really good at starting businesses, right? I've got many businesses I've started. I could show you many different brands that I've started. Um, I've always hit a certain threshold. That threshold, to be completely clear with you, is around the 25K mark. Every business that I've started, I'll get to 25K, and then I feel comfortable. I'm like, I've made it. I've made it. I've made the money, right? And that's because I come from a background where we didn't have much, right? And it's not that my parents drilled it into me not to like money. That's obviously not the case. Everybody wants money. But it's those learned behaviors, right? When you start getting too much money that you're not used to or accustomed to having, you start having these these sort of mental breakdowns, if you like, right? Because I'll hit, so for example, um, when I first started Muslim Emir, which is my current business, in the first month, I generated 12K, right? First month. Profit margin was... I was probably operating at 98% profit, right? So if I did that in the first month of business, just as soon as I started trading, boom, 12K generated. Um, what was then stopping me 
for the next sort of three months of hitting that figure every month? What 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 was it? It's that complacency, right? Because you're like, oh yeah, you know, I've generated this much money, I've got all this much money now, I can just relax, I can take a step back. And because I'm not money motivated, that's not something that, you know, when I say this to people, some people are like, what do you mean you want money motivated? Everybody loves money. It's not that. Being money motivated means that you're always chasing the dollar in the sense of once you make a dollar, you get excited to make the next dollar. And you always think about the next pound and the next pound and the next pound. Your money's what drives you. For me, what drives me is purpose. You know, being able to impact somebody's life, being able to be a change in somebody's life, being able to transform somebody. So, for example, I made that 12K and then I was like, yeah, let me just sit back. And sit back's the wrong word. I wanted to focus on my clients and get them results. So I stopped trying to sell and I just started focusing on my current crop. But what that means is the minute you're in business and you stop having a revenue generating system, right? After three months, four months, you're going to hit a point where you need the money and now you're desperate for sales, right? Because now you're like, wait, I've got bills to pay. That 12K that I generated or the 15K or the 20K, whatever, is gone. And in the first six months of my business, I generated um, 30K in revenue, but I only, co- I only cash collected about 14, I think. If I remember correctly, it was about 14K that I collected. So in six months, I collected 14K, which is not bad, right? It's about 2K a month. But after that, what happens is you don't have that consistent cash flow coming in, right? And because you've generated a certain amount of revenue that's not cash collected, your mind is programmed that you've got that cash already collected. But I don't. I'm still collecting cash today, right, from some clients because they're paying installments. So... This is one of the biggest, mm-hmm. I would say, challenges that I have is that that money. So even when I had my events business, um, again, we, we made a lot of money really quickly in my events business. And we hit 24K in revenue. Um, and then we had all this cash in the bank, right? And believe you me, when you're somebody that hasn't seen this much money in your life, right, coming from just living paycheck to paycheck, you know, when we used to get a pound from our parents, that pound used to run to the shop holding it up in the sky like it was like... Like you found a million pounds, right? And back in the day, a pound, guys, for any young viewers, a pound back in the day would literally buy you the corner shop, right? You had two P sweets. Fredo was like less than five P. You buy a kind of drink for like 15 P. So a pound was a lot, right? Um, but you guys wouldn't understand that today. But yeah, and um, I forgot where I was going. Oh yeah, so what we ended up doing was we, I say we, me, me, um, that made this, this decision, I invested in recruiting people very quickly for my business, for my events business. I was like, oh my God, I've got all this money. I just want to spend it. <laughs> You're looking into your bank and you've got five figures that you can just, you know, you don't know what to do with it, right? And what's ironic, and this is why it's always important to plan, to, to stick to your plan. The irony was in my business plan for my events company, I predicted to make this much money in the first 12 months. I'd made it in the first quarter. Again, you can see a consistent theme occurring, Right? And what I'd had in my plan was I'm not going to recruit anybody on a salary till year three of my business. Year three. I was in month three and I recruited two people on salaries. <laughs> right? And then once again, what did I do? Okay. I'd secured the clients at the start of the business, didn't secure any more clients because I now had the team who I was like, Yo, you guys are responsible for sales. I didn't give them enough training. I didn't, you know, all of these things are learning experiences. Right. 
and then you end up going bankrupt because the biggest financial damage to any business is your labor costs, right? Along with some fixed mm-hmm. costs, but labor is the main thing because even fixed costs, if you're looking at premises, for example, it's you know, what 20k a year, depending on how big it is, if it's like a, a medium sized premises. If it's a, a large premises, maybe 40k a year. So that's not even that large of a, of a fixed amount. But when you've got two, three, four employees, so you're having to pay two mm-hmm. to five k a month, a month, right? Without any revenue coming in, then you're in trouble. So it's, you know, that, those kind of things. And then the second thing I would say, so uh, other than money, um, mindset, man. I can coach people on mindset. It doesn't mean that I don't have uh, my own battles every day, right? So mm-hmm. I would say I'm still on that journey of uh, overcoming my own demons. Um, but alhamdulillah, one of the blessings that I would say I have within my personality is you have a positive outlook to life. Now, not to confuse people what positive outlook means. A positive outlook does not mean that I don't get negative thoughts or negative emotions. A positive outlook means that I recover quickly from my negative emotions. I appreciate the negative emotions. I embrace them. I don't feel like it's abnormal. Why am I negative? No, when I'm negative, I embrace it. I'm like, cool, this is a moment that right now I'm negative in that I have self-doubt in, that I might have a fear in, how can I get out of this very quickly? What's the quickest way? What's the best way to get out of this? Is it to use a notepad and pen and write down my what I'm good at and what I'm bad at and then weigh up in front of me and the pros will always outweigh the cons, right? Is it maybe as a Muslim, uh, I have a very simple exercise that's no longer than three seconds. I smile and then I say, Alhamdulillah three times, which is I praise Allah, I show gratitude. And then I say, I'm amazing three times. So if you do that right now, Z, if you were just to smile, say, Alhamdulillah, 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 I'm amazing, I'm amazing, I'm amazing. Look at the positive dopamine that will hit your brain. And all of a sudden, what mm-hmm. that actually does is it starts, the brain wires you and brings back memories of things that you did that made you feel amazing or things that you achieved. And all of a sudden, you're actually smiling. And this, I always do this, do this exercise when I'm feeling negative, anger, fear. I straight away try and utilize this exercise. So, but this does not mean that I don't face this minor tour, as you said, every day. And I think I like this um, this reference for one reason as well, this uh, this metaphor. Because as a Muslim, as an Arab, and as somebody who's living in Britain, so you could call me British, um, we have this identity crisis as the minor tour would between being a bull and a man, right? You have this identity crisis of being an Arab Muslim and a British Muslim and maybe even a British that's away from the religion, if you want, right? Because you're raised in this environment. So you might have an element of you that, you know, thinks a certain way, and then another element of you which thinks a completely different way. And this also, as somebody who comes from this to these two worlds, this actually adds to that mindset, to that mental challenge that we, we live with every day. Because one day you might wake up and be like, you know what, you know, you've got your geezer mind on, you know, if this, if that, all this, all that, and then... The next minute you're like, Allahu Akbar, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah. Do you know what I mean? So then this this identity crisis is something that you you have to deal with. And um, yeah, man, I think that these are the two, you know, the two that I would say I struggle with the most. And, you know, I'm not afraid to admit it. I'm here to be vulnerable and for people to learn, you know, yeah. that it's okay. No, I appreciate, the, you know, the honesty of those questions. Like they were very open and transparent um answer like you know the first one i wasn't expecting but you know there's so much that you've said there you know which are conversations and topics in and of themselves and you know your 
background is is, is similar to mine. That I am a British-born Muslim, uh, but I'm a Pakistani, um, and and I completely get what you're saying because it's like you know we haven't really belonged and fit in here in 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 the UK. Like obviously things are a lot better. Um, we touched upon it in 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 your podcast, so things are a lot better for my generation and generation after us um, in comparison to our parents who, who constantly got battered and beaten up for for being Pakistani. So yes, it is better, but there's always been a feeling like we didn't really fit in um, and belong. But the issue then is also when we go to Pakistan. I don't know if it's similar for you, but when we go to Pakistan. We don't really fit in there either because we're we're outsiders for for them as well. So yes, you do have this kind of cultural um, identity crisis, but also there's a a clash of values. Um, and I think this is an important topic that Muslims need to have more often, because in my opinion, the Islamic value system is in direct conflict with modern Western civilization, um, and we're growing up in this modern Western like modern western civilization uh, society where yeah. the values don't really match up to the values that we have um, as muslims and as you know in, in islam so yeah. it's kind of like you know you've got as you said the minotaur inside or a split personality kind of thing where you know you've grown up in this society and you had all this conditioning and programming so a lot of things are acceptable to you in this society but then when you go through uh, some of the ethics or some of the values of Islam, all of a sudden you've got this conflict inside of yourself. Um, and I suppose this might even come into play with what you were saying about money, because although Islam doesn't say, you know, money is bad or anything like that, it encourages to make use of the bounties that God has given you. But the priority is spirituality rather than materialism. Yes, you use materialism, but you do it for spiritual purposes um and sometimes you know with the society that we've grown up in there is no spiritual basis to capitalism or making money or materialism it's build businesses make as much money as you can screw people over if you have to because that's business you have to be a wolf um and and basically do whatever it takes to crush your competition and and be the top dog and be the best in the world now that kind of programming and thinking is in direct conflict with Islam. So, you know, how do you feel about it? Is that, would you say, something that you felt yourself and that may be a part of your uh, money crisis or is it completely different for you? I would actually disagree with that just because um, in Islam, uh, okay. we're always told to give charity, zakah. Yeah. We're always told to give wealth, right? And Allah says, giving charity does not decrease in wealth and it actually increases your wealth, mm-hmm. right? And wealth in Islam doesn't necessarily have to mean financial gains either. So Allah might say he'll reward you for that, and it might not be in a monetary term, it might be in other ways, right? But uh, also, because the reason I'm going to agree with the disagree, sorry, is because in Islam, one of the reasons I want to have money is so that I can give back, is so that I can help build masajid, is so that mm-hmm. I can feed the poor. So in Islam, it's good to have money. If you look yeah. at the companions yeah. of the Prophet, peace be upon him, they were all successful in their own way. They were all rich. But what did they do with their wealth? This is the difference. My monetary problems come from yeah. the background that I was raised in. My dad was very strict okay. with his spending, with his, you know, yeah. his views to money, right? Because we didn't have mm-hmm. money. To this day, to this day, when we went out for Eid, just the other day we went out for Eid, 
My dad was saying to me, I don't want to go out for Eid because you're going to go to the restaurant and spend £150 right now. We could be using that money for something else. And I'm like, Dad, yes. yeah. let's go out and enjoy it. He's like, no. And he, what would he say? He would say the ayah about being a Muslim, which is don't be somebody who spends too much and indulges in overspending. Wouldn't you rather give yeah. this £150 to the poor? So, mm-hmm. again, it's nothing to do with Islam as a whole. Because this is the, 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 the problem that we face as Muslims. And again, there's a stereotype of what Muslims tend to teach, uh, maybe, in certain families. is Not that we tend to teach it. If you look at the UK, over 50% of the Muslims mm-hmm. come from troubled backgrounds or um, lower than working class backgrounds, right? So therefore, if you've got a, a population of over 50% where people are raised in an environment where having money isn't something that they have ever experienced, that they know the feeling of, they're going to have all these mental yeah. blocks of how to make money. They're going to have all these mental blocks of how to deal with money. One of the problems that I mm-hmm. faced growing up with money was that my, my money management was bad. Because I have always said, if you ask any of my family or friends, I always say money comes and it goes, right? Like I live by that that sort of philosophy where as soon as I get money, I will spend it because I don't even know if I'm going to be alive tomorrow. So why am I going to let it sit in the bank? And by the way, when it sits in the bank, it, it decreases in value anyway, right? The pound today <laughs> yeah. is the pound yesterday. It decreases in value. So there's no yeah. point in you know keeping mm-hmm. it there. So all of these things come into play. And also, because I wasn't somebody that was raised with a lot of money or had the the leisure of spending money how I wanted, the minute I got money, I always wanted to spend it on things that I couldn't spend it on otherwise. Right? So these things come into play. Now, being a grown man and somebody who's in business, budgeting is something huge in business, right? You know, you have to budget in business. If you don't budget in business, you, yeah. you know, you're, 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 <laughs> you don't. It's done. You're game over. For you. You're done. So now, as a man, I'm learning all these things. So it's having to unlearn those bad habits, unlearn those behaviors of my views to money, how to mismanage money, and all these things, and learn the new habits, learn the new uh, cycle of, you know, the process of how to manage my money, how to invest my money, how to be with money, my acceptance to money. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so and alhamdulillah, I've never had a problem with making money. So don't get things confused either. I've always had jobs that made me good money. You know, earning alhamdulillah very good money. But again, it was that management of the of the money. And I'll tell you a little story when it comes to money. So, for example, when I was London, I was earning anywhere between let's say two to five k a month, um, and I was still broke, right? And that's because I worked in an environment where, as Muslims, we believe Allah puts barakah in your money when it's halal income, right? Allah will bless it and he puts barakah in it. Barakah basically means goodness. Um, so when I was earning all this money in London, I didn't see the money. I didn't feel it. It would come and it would go very quickly. When, during lockdown, I decided to switch off from the world and just earn a basic living to pay off what I needed to. Yeah. I had cheap rent. I had mm-hmm. this. I was making £900 a month. I'm, I'm not afraid to admit this, right? £900 a month. When I tell you, at the end of the month, I had more money to invest, to save up, and to spend than I did when I was making three, four, five grand a month, just because one, I was doing it through halal ways, and number two, I'd learned how to budget, right? And because obviously I started practicing better, I I stopped overspending, I started realizing where my money was going, and I was was blown away by this. Because number one, obviously, Allah put barakah in the money, but number two... I was like, wow, with 900 pounds revenue, 
I'm able to, I literally would have three, four hundred pounds to spare a month. When I was making three to five grand a month, I would have, I would be in debt. <laughs> so, you know, all these, all these experiences are amazing. But yeah, man, I think, you know, to anybody out there, because I know there are a lot of people that suffer with, with money management or have mental blocks to money, you know. Um, I have, I've actually got a program uh, which is called Money is Not Our Enemy. Right? It's, the, it's literally me no money course. Right? And um, money is not our enemy. So within this, I actually yeah. coach my clients and I coach people on how to accept money how to manage their money and how to view money, right? Because I'm somebody who's come from that experience. And alhamdulillah, right now, the way that I view money and the way that I think about money and the way that I manage my money is so much better than before. But, you know, you asked me what my minor tools were. So we, 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 that's what's got us to here. So alhamdulillah, to anybody that's struggling with money out there, it just takes a shift in your mindset and all you have to do is unlearn those behaviors and learn the new ones where you associate money with goodness, money with happiness. Not that yeah. your happiness yeah. depends on money, but mm-hmm. when you have money, you can actually yeah. do things with that money that cause happiness, that's cause and effect. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, just to clarify what I was saying earlier, it wasn't that money is bad or, or, or not, Islam teaches it's the opposite because, you know, like I was explaining money is you know wealth is a gift from god so god's bounty we're encouraged to obviously seek god's bounty and use it in goods um yes. in, in, in a good way what i was trying to say where the value clash is there's a halal way or, or you know a right way to earn money and and the wrong way where the value clashes here in in, in modern day competition you know it's it doesn't matter what, how you make money as long as you make it you know even if it means crushing other people lying to them deceiving them uh, and whatnot and unfortunately you know in, in my experience i've seen uh muslims who, who who you know really nice guys in a personal point of yes. view they pray the namazas they, they do all that but in a business context they're they're sharks and they're wolves and their justification is well it's business that's just the way yeah. it is um and, and that's what you know i was trying to uh allude to or get at um and i no, think a lot I, of people I, have, I you know yeah i agree with that if that's what you meant yes i completely agree and actually this is why, um, as Muslims, obviously, if you're a non-Muslim watching this, I really highly recommend you read the Quran. That you know, what you're going to lose from reading it, right? Um, and you've got everything to gain. Um, first of all, second of all, there's a chapter called Mutafifin, uh, right? And in this chapter, Allah says, uh, where basically Allah is saying, he's talking about the people that are tradesmen, the businessmen, that cheat those people, that cheat the people that are buying from them. And Allah is very clear about this in the Quran, saying, do these people not think there's going to be a day that they come where they're going to be held accountable for this? And what's really sad is we live in a generation right now where Muslims don't act upon the deen. We're Muslim by name, not by practice. Right, and yes. we're all we're all guilty 100%. of this. All of us are guilty of this. And Muslims understand this. When you say this to a Muslim, everybody feels it. And we all we all look at our own life and like, oh, you know what, that's deep, right? But one of the things that we, especially born Muslims, um, even if we go away from the religion and come back, which many of us do, um, what you'll find is non-Muslims that revert to Islam 
who become Muslim. So I'm talking about, you know, Gary, Steve, Paul, the Englishman, the American, the Spanish guy or woman that convert to Islam and revert back to Islam. You'll find they practice the religion. They don't just say I'm Muslim. They live it. Yes. And they will, they will stick it on you, bro. They will say, yo, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I thought Islam teaches this. I thought Islam teaches that. And because they come to it and it's a complete new thing to them, they love it. And they love acting upon it. But us, because we were raised with it, we take it for granted. Yeah. And that's 100%. why when we talk about those sharks and those wolves in business in particular, I think that's where that element comes in, is that they don't practice their religion. They'll just go to the mosque because that's what a habit is. They just know namaz. Even when they're in prayer, they're not yeah. even thinking about the verses they're reading. It's Alhamdulillah, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. That's what they're doing. Right? They're not, but the person that's truly devout, like concentrating his prayer, he understands that when he's or she understands when they're reciting those verses, they're showing gratitude to Allah, they're glorifying Allah, they're reading this, they're reading that. And that has a big difference. And, mm-hmm. and I think, yeah, man, I think, you know, for those sharks, if anybody watching this is a shark out there in business, right? Whatever goes around comes around. And just be, be, be careful how you treat people because one day someone may not treat you this way, they may treat your children or your grandchildren this way. Because you're not going to be around forever, right? And it might come back and haunt you in ways that you wouldn't think about it. So just be aware, be very careful. And just don't do it, just be nice. Yeah, no, that makes, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, and it makes it makes sense so you know this is why you know i, I don't get like obviously when 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 they do these things but to be honest you know i, I might have done some things like that because you know i've been in industries which were um always you know honest and 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 um upfront you know even when you knew um you were acting for clients especially in the in the legal field when you're acting for clients who clearly um are not suffering from what they're saying they're suffering from or yeah. you know they're kind of acting it on so you know there's there's a direct way and there's an indirect way but it's, it's all the same at the end of the day you know um you make that decision and that choice to continue working in in that job and i suppose it's just one of those things we don't think about because well that's just society we've grown up in and everybody else is kind of doing it and and, and that's what's dangerous um so you know i suppose you have to come towards a point where you're doing a lot of self-reflection or an event might happen where it just kind of shakes you up and wakes you up from the hustle and grind of of of, of day to day kind of uh, living. Uh, but I suppose you know the other things as well. You know, uh, a lot of the non-Muslim audience might not be aware of this, but obviously taking out loans um, is not allowed for Muslims because um, of interest, and interest is something which is forbidden um, yeah. in the business world. Well, it's all about you know, loans and interest and, and taking out this and that and the other. And even in terms of uh, buying a house, you have to take out a mortgage, which um, technically, well, you know, it's, it's not allowed because of that interest element. However, now today, the, the confusing thing is you, you will have leaders and imams and uh, sheikhs that will kind of uh, provide a justification for, well, it's okay because of the environment we're living in. And I suppose um, the struggle for us today is, you know, if you're not kind of learned yourself and you have to go and find somebody to learn from, um, you know, I suppose what a lot of us do now is we will already have our preconceived notion of what we want. Yeah. And then when we ask the question, we're not asking for the answer. We're asking for somebody to justify our stance. So we might go to one imam. He might not give us the answer we're looking for. Then we'll go to the next one and the next yeah. one after that until we find one that kind of yeah. says, yeah, 
you're looking for it. <laughs> so, um, you know, obviously you deal with a lot more Muslim CEOs. Like, do they have these same kind of blocks and, and thoughts or are they just going along to get along? I'll be honest. I mean, one one trait that I've realised with the... With, well, it's not a trait. Let me let let's, let me clarify something, obviously, because we've got non-Muslim viewers as well. So, uh, as Muslims, uh, so obviously you know that there's Sunni Muslims, there's Shia Muslims, and there are other groups um, of, of uh, Muslims. Um, but within the Sunni Muslims, which is the predominantly 95% of the world is a Sunni Muslim, um, you have four schools of thought. Four schools of thought. So, Within these schools of thought, what does the school of thought mean? It means that you have four views or interpretations to an understanding within a certain context of something that is not forbidden. So what does this mean? It means that, for example, the way we may um, do certain things during the prayer, for example, right? So you might be able to do standing up with your arms crossed for example or your arms down both are allowed both don't forbid anything they're not sins they don't go against anything so the school of thought you follow will either be your arms are crossed or your arms are down so these sort of things so it wouldn't say so you wouldn't have a school of thought that says you're allowed to drink and a school of thought that says you're not allowed to drink no the things that are forbidden are forbidden so when it comes to the school of thought um what you now have with different muslims is obviously certain conditions from certain schools of thought to certain situations of the land you may live in, right? Um, now, for example, you might have one scholar who may say to you, taking out a university loan with interest is permissible, right? Out of the necessity of an education, because without an education, you won't be able to work and blah, 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 Right? So this is somebody who's a scholar who studied the financial rules and regulations within the religion and followed a certain school of thought that may embrace this opinion, right? Um, so therefore, you might end up in this situation. Now, again, what you will have here is, obviously, this is now you're falling into the lines of something being forbidden or not being forbidden, right? So I think with Muslim CEOs as a whole, what you'll find is, depending on their level of uh, iman, so how high their, 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 how would I say this in English, their, their, how much they practice the religion, say, or how connected they are to the religion, spiritually, right? Um, so that would dictate what they do in their business. So I have certain Muslim CEOs that are very strict to the point, for example, they won't recruit not they won't, they will avoid as much as possible to recruit female employees just for the sake of protecting their male and female counterparts. Because they don't want the free mixing to occur in their organisation where things can lead to something. Mm -hmm. So they may yeah. recruit a female who doesn't have to come into the office externally. Or they might recruit a male, if they've already got females, that is external. Because they don't want to free mix them. They might have an office that's just females only and an office that's males only, right? Because as Muslims, it's not that like men and women, obviously, people have this wrong ideology. It's not that we can't interact with one another, but we as Muslims try to avoid as much as possible the 
opportunity where things can lead to something that is regrettable, right? If you can avoid something from the start, just avoid it, right? It's easier to avoid than to regret, <laughs> right? So you have different CEOs that do different things and operate in different ways. And again, it depends on their school of thought and their way of thinking and what they believe or interpret as correct. And again, this comes back. So for example, I spoke to a Muslim business owner once and this Muslim business owner has an opinion on imams and the way that Islam is taught. And this is through his experiences. Because when he was raised with in a madrasa, which is a school, as a young adolescent teenager growing up, he was told X, Y, Z of how a Muslim had to be, how to look, and how to behave, right? So then this shaped his thinking and the way that he viewed life through that lens. So now when he's a business owner, he has that cap that he thinks through. Somebody else that maybe was not raised within that environment, who's also a Muslim CEO and also practices, will view things different. So because there's such a wide range of opinions in the sense of um, certain, not opinions, certain levels of practice and yeah, opinions and outlooks, you will see that not every CEO is, is, uh, is similar to the other one. But there are common traits. For example, um, most of the Muslim CEOs that I speak to have a percentage that they give to charity, for example, right? Most of them that I speak to or work with have um, a way of working with their employees, right? Because if you take leadership from the Prophet Sallam, and the way that he was with his people, his emotional intelligence, uh, you know, being a servant to his people. So a lot of them have these traits. You know what I mean? So, you know, I think, um, yeah, man, I think it depends on, this, on, on the person that you speak to. And I'll be honest with you, you have a lot of successful Muslims that we don't know about. And that's because they don't like to disclaim their wealth. Yes. Yeah. So as, as Muslims, we should always be humble. And honestly speaking, there are certain mm -hmm. lessons that I've come across. I'm like, MashaAllah, you have all this money, all this wealth. All this. You would have never thought it. So, so let's, let's stick with this point because yeah. I've, I've struggled with this myself, right? Um, which is modern day marketing, especially on social media, right? Okay. You know, you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to give yourself kind of like, you know, I got my client this result or this and that and the other. Like, yeah. do you ever struggle with that? You know, is, is there a boundary between... Um, keeping that side private and being humbled and crossing over to the side where it's starting to be a bit more boastful and, and prideful and, uh, you know, what's your opinions on that? You're trying to get me in trouble here, man. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, look. That was a real raw answer, you know. <laughs> so, because, like I said, I've, I've struggled with this. You know, this has been one of my minor thoughts. In, in, yeah. you know, this is why I'm not... Uh, you know, I suppose I haven't gone gung ho with the marketing that I've learned, which is yeah. almost every marketing guru is, is teaching these days. And you know, it's it's it's, it's almost it, it is a bit of a hindrance because I don't want to do what they're doing because it just doesn't feel um ethically right. And then secondly, it's like you know, I I, I don't want to kind of show off, but at some point you do have to do a little bit of showing off if you want that um you know attention to get the clients. And then to obviously use that to make an impact in their lives. So, you know, what are your thoughts on, on this? So, I'll be honest. Uh, there's a hadith that says, uh, Al-A'malu 
So this means your actions are upon your intentions. Right? So if I do an act of good in front of you, but my intention is just to show off, I don't get a reward for it. And vice versa. If I do an mm-hmm. action and my intention is just for the sake of Allah and I don't want anyone to know, you get a reward for it. So if his intention or her intention through marketing is to genuinely help and to genuinely support, and you need social proof. So if you're making a million pounds and you're not doing it to show off and be, I'm better than you. You're actually doing it to like be like, look, I made a million and I want to help you make a million, right? And that's my intention. By all means, do it. However, if your intention is, it's a, you're basically trying to scam people. Like, look, I made a million. I'm better than you. Join my program where I keep making millions and I don't actually have a program that helps you make any money. So it's like a, a sort of a scam to just make more money from you, right? So, and I think also, uh, look, human nature. If, if you're somebody that makes as much money as you do and you share it, is that being arrogant or is that just showing your results to, to help your business grow? Um, and I think mm. it comes back down to how you do it. I don't think it's a matter of, you know, I can come on here and say I've got a flashy car and I've, I'm a millionaire and all of this stuff. If I'm doing it to look down upon you and, mm. you know, you know, put you down and whatever, that will come across. You know, you'll feel it in the video, the way that it's made, the way that they portray their message, maybe the way that their actions are. You know, if I'm somebody who's always got the camera on when I'm doing goodness or charity or whatever, that you're doing it for sure. But if you're somebody who's genuinely sincere, like I could name you three or four brothers that I know personally who you might be referring to within the space, right? And I... I'm not referring to anyone actually. I'm just no, no, I'm, I'm just saying, you'll have seen their ads anyway, right? You'll have seen their ads anyway. Because okay. in the Muslims, in the Muslim mm-hmm. world, there's only four or five guys that are dominating the space when it comes to advertising and right. revealing financial results, right? It's a very small space with a very big demand, like big mm-hmm. market. But there are five people that are dominating. And I pretty much know all of them on a personal level in the sense of I have them within my network if I want to reach out to them. And I may have had conversations with them here and there. And I honestly can tell you that from what I see, they are genuinely sincere with their results and with what they do. And they don't do it to gloat or to... to, They actually do it because they know it makes them get more customers and helps their business grow. Right. However, there are at times certain individuals who you may feel that is getting a bit too much, like you're doing it a bit too much now. Right. Or the certain language that you used here is not really, you know, uh, like, are you actually now just showing off or are you still, you know? So I think it's very sensitive. And I think what we need to be aware of as well as Muslims in particular is we, we need to have personal advan. We need to have benefit of the doubt in that person. So I would say, always have the benefit of doubt in the brother or sister that's revealing these things and say they're doing it to try and help the ummah. Because you'll see their marketing is always aimed at Muslims. It's not aimed at, you know, everybody. They're always saying, you know, if you're a Muslim looking to make money or break away from your work or build a 5K, gener- uh, 5K revenue uh, consistently every month, come and work with me and we'll get you the results. And a lot of them, if not all of them, are basically affiliate marketing. I think only one of them is a, uh, a, a actual business model where they build their own business and is their own product. I think the other four are literally affiliate marketing. So you're basically somebody who comes into their business and you invest your own money to advertise their work 
but then you get paid. So let's say, for example, I invest £500 to advertise your advert for you and somebody buys from that advert, I then will make, let's say your program costs £2,000, I will make 50% of that. So then from my £500 investment, I made £1,000, so I made £500 profit. But they call it a business because it's, you know, you're, you're putting in money and it's trading, right? But you're not actually the person doing the, the product or the work. You're the one investing the money to put the adverts out there or so on and so forth to generate money for them. So, yeah, I think it's, it's you know, mm-hmm. it's, it comes back down to their intentions and only Allah knows what's in the heart, man. So have benefit of that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, just to clarify, I was actually referring to myself and, you know, uh, this is the clash of values I was talking about earlier with, I've had with myself with obviously learning from these marketing books, which everybody talks about, but then it's like, okay, let me ask you a question. Have you got results? Like, have you got results that you could put out there and be like, look, I've achieved this. And yeah, of course. Make- you know, I've put one out to, today, but you know, this, this is basically, this is something that I've been working with. So, um, I've been trying to do it, um, you know, instead of saying I've done this, or I've done that, it's as you've been seeing is I'm doing this today, like the 100 days at the gym kind of thing. So it's like, you know, I'm not trying to say I've already done it. It's like, this is what I'm doing today. This is how I feel. This is what's happening. And then even with the the business kind of thing, uh, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah. I saw your post. I think it was yesterday where you put about the, uh, is it the expert umpire? uh, What's what's your uh, podcast called? The other podcast? The other YouTube channel? Sorry. Uh, Ethical empires. Yeah. Ethical empires. You put a post up saying that you've hit a certain number of views and a certain number of subscribers and, you know, and you, that post felt genuinely sincere, right? And there's no shame or harm in doing that. In fact, it's really good because what yeah. that will do is people see your journey, see your growth and actually want to be a part of it. So what I mean yeah. is if you're, look, if you're able to generate, for example, let's say you had five people join your program and you were able to make each one of them uh, X amount of revenue a month, Right? And you use their results as a as a vehicle to generate more clients to get the same results for those new clients. Would you mm-hmm. then class that as somebody who's sharing the results to be, you know, like look at me, or is that you're trying to just generate more clients to keep your consistent revenue coming in? So I think if you're facing this challenge of a value clash, I think obviously, obviously, I know where you know because we spoke on my podcast about your background and where you come from. So I think along with your journey, doing what you're doing now, where it's that small, you know, sharing your journey as you go along till you get that confidence or to unlearn that that yeah. mental road, that mental block of actually mm-hmm. doing it is, 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 is okay. Because all you're, you're probably seeking validation that it's okay and you're trying to overcome mm-hmm. that self-doubt. Yeah, probably. And, Most likely, and yeah. maybe, and maybe imposter syndrome. Right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you have all three of these things, remember, as humans, we like to be comfortable. We don't like anything that makes us uncomfortable. The minute anyone is doing something uncomfortable, continue doing that thing because that's where you grow. That's the that's where the growth happens. 100%. So the fact, so the fact that you're... And that's what this whole, <laughs> that's what this yeah. whole podcast theme is about, overcoming those yeah. feet minotaurs and, that and, what, and whatnot. So uh, again, basically my f- journey of overcoming this fear of speaking was done completely on online so the first video that i made where i wasn't even talking properly it's all online the the first live i did uh, and then the first podcast where i'm just asking questions and shutting up asking questions and shutting up whereas now it's more of a two-way kind of conversation and it's more like i'm speaking to you as if you know if we were just sat down in uh 
um, you know, in, in, in restaurants where, you know, we'd be talking um, and, and that journey is now on online. So that's how I've kind of dealt with it rather than say before I was online, you know, my legal business uh, was making this amount of money and I was doing this and, and the other uh, because I didn't quite feel quite comfortable doing it that way. Um, but as you say, you know, everybody's got their own challenges and, and fears and, and minotaurs that they, they need to deal with. And once you deal with one, there's always going to be another one. And once you deal with that, there's going to be a another one. Now, I'm conscious of the time, so I, I do want to you know talk about this quickly if you right. are comfortable talking about it. So, you know, you mentioned you are you know, Palestinian background and, and you know, in, in that, in this podcast, you talked about how when you're feeling down kind of thing, you know, you, you, you got this um, amazing strategy to, to put yourself back into a positive kind of mode. But obviously Palestine is a troubled part of, of the world, you know, and that's just a, a light way of, of saying it. And, you know, it's basically, it's, it's been in a constant war zone and um, there's been a lot of violence and, and negativity and oppression uh happening you know in in, in this like how do you deal with that because obviously for most of us like obviously we still do feel a, a connection to this and we get really upset especially when it hits the news and in general we, we kind of feel upset about it and we want to do things about it but from being there like you know how do you kind of deal with that uh internally and externally like you know how does it affect you mm. how does it impact you what do you do to overcome it um and, and what do you feel about it Okay, so growing up, I escaped from it, right? Because um, in my household, we would have the news on. And Arabic news is not like English news. Arabic news is not censored. I don't know about Pakistani news, but Arabic news is not censored. And they will show you the real footage of what's going on. So growing up, I used to always see these kids that were dead on the street. I used to always see, you know, the bombings. I used to see all of this just growing up and coming from a Palestinian household where my dad's obviously very passionate about this. Um, obviously, we were raised, like, that's why I always say I'm Palestinian. I don't shy away from it. I'm very proud to be Palestinian, even though I technically, when I go home, I actually visit Jordan more than Palestine. I reside in Jordan, not Palestine. But Jordan is, right. for me, I'm still Palestinian, right? And I have a lot of friends that are Palestinian that, like me, Palestinian, Jordanian, but they call themselves Jordanian, not Palestinian, right? Because that is, it's not wrong to do that in the sense of that's where they go, that's where their family live, that's what they know. But again, we're Palestinian. Mm -hmm. So the second thing is that was in my childhood. So I escaped from it a lot because it used to make me really sad when I used to see it. And in contrast, my brother was very, very, very passionate about it. And, you know, he was, he was really like into the politics and into all of that. I would always just like, even now when the politics conversation comes up, I'm more into it now as a man where you can talk about it a bit more. But before I would just mm-hmm. escape, I would just, I would just leave because you can't make, I can't do anything. Um, but then when yes. I visited Palestine, <laughs> when I visited Palestine, when I was younger, seeing firsthand the Israelite behavior towards us, the way they, towards us, the way they treat us like animals. You know, um, I've actually, me, myself, I'm, it's very difficult for me to actually enter Palestine because of my family. Um, so we've been turned away. We've, 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 we've landed in Tel Aviv before with our British passports, been put in a cell overnight and sent back straight to England, second oh. one, and not been let in the country, right? 
And within that process, wow. the way they search you, the way they treat you, the way it is, it's disgusting. Being in Palestine, you have so many checkpoints. When I was in Palestine, you know, I'm 10, 11 years old. Every checkpoint I'm going to, the Israelites, like, I'm a kid. The way they're looking at me, the way they poke you with their gun, the way they treat you, it's just, it's disgusting. I have family in Palestine. I have my siblings in Gaza. So when the bombings, the recent bombings that were happening, wow. my siblings were there and my siblings mm. were raised, born and raised in the UK. And they're all under the age of seven. Right. Um, but they moved to Gaza to go and live there, right, with their step, with my stepmom, with their mother. Oh, wow. And my dad commutes oh. from there and back. And, um, yeah, when, when, the, when the bombings were first happening, my siblings thought they were fireworks. Because in England, when you hear that noise, right. it's a firework. Obviously, it's yeah. much, mm. much louder. The bombings are crazy. But, so they would go on the roofs to watch to wait for the fireworks. Wow. <laughs> and obviously, you know, so it's very close to home. I've had, I've obviously lost uncles and, and family in the bombings. My auntie's houses have been bombed two, three times, numerous times. So um, I'll be talking to my dad when he's in Gaza and electricity will just cut off and his phone will just die, you know? So, and then, you know, and things up. So all of these things happen. So obviously I'll be stupid and I'd be lying to say it doesn't impact me, Right. How do I deal with it internally and externally as a Muslim? And this is what I always say, alhamdulillah for Islam. There's a hadith that says, Ajaba amrul mu'min kullahu lahu Strange that the affair of a believer. When good bestows upon him, it's good for him. And when evil bestows upon him, it's good for him. There's an ayah in the Quran where Allah says, Allah says, you think something is bad for you when it is good for you. And you think something is good for you when it is indeed bad for you. So you always have to reflect upon the religion. The religion is perfect, human is not. That's why you always see the Muslims that practice their religion on a daily basis, they're always level. They're not too excited, they're not sad. They're not too happy, they're not mad. Right? Because they understand the deen, you have to be in a middle ground. So for me, for example, when it comes to the matter of Palestine, I understand, so imagine this, at my school, I had a friend who was an Israelite Jew. Okay. Right? I'm a Palestinian Muslim. His sister was an advocate for Palestine. Wow. Okay. Fighting her own people against to, for the rights of Palestinians. Mm-hmm. So, these sort of experiences, so I didn't not friend him just because he was an Israelite Jew. Right? When it's the easier thing to do. But you've got people like him and his family that are fighting for the Palestinian rights and the Palestinian cause. So I understand it's yes. not all, if you speak to Orthodox Jews from Palestine, they call it Palestine, first of all, they don't call it Israel. Number two, yeah. Palestine yeah. Yeah. Palestine has Christians, Jews, and Muslims that were all Palestinian. Palestinian, they're not Israelites, they're Palestinian. They were there before Israel. And they know that it's Palestine. If you speak to Orthodox Jews, they say it's Palestine. They don't say it's Israel. So it's the Zionist movement. It's the government. So you need to be aware of this. So how do I deal with it? Number one, I make du'a. I make supplication for Allah to make things easy. Number two, the, what's happening right now is all been told by the Prophet, peace be upon him, years ago. These are prophecies that are happening. Who am I to be mad at a prophecy? Mm. Thirdly, mm-hmm. When my uncle, because my uncle recently passed away in the bombings, not this Ramadan, the one before that. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know how we celebrated his death? Mm-hmm. He's a martyr. How? He's a shaheed. He's a martyr. He died in the last 10 days of Ramadan. We celebrate that. Muslims don't fear death. See, this is what people don't understand. We don't fear death. We look forward to death. When you've got someone opposite you, who's standing against you, and you're, already, you're going to fight this person, and he loves to die, you've already lost. Because if he stays alive, he's happy. And if he dies, he's happy. What do you do with a person like that? <laughs> you can't beat them. Yeah, and, and you know this is an important point. So just to clarify, this isn't a love for death because you know of the Western understanding of death, which is you know morbid and and horrific and all of that. The purpose of life for a Muslim at the end of the day is to worship God. Uh, right. We are here to do good deeds, become right. the best version of ourselves, to be you know uh, cultivators of the planet, help other people, right. um, so that our soul you know is purified in such a state that I can return to God in a purified state so when we look forward to death it's not death as in you know violent or whatnot it's the chance to reunite our soul with god and that's the understanding which i think a lot don't get so you know maybe you can go into more into that obviously based on what you've just said no that's 100 percent fact that's exactly what it is and you know like i always say to my wife i was you know oh well, the wedding's coming up, so fiance, if you want. But you know, I, I like saying wife. But and I always say to her, if I was to drop down now and die, but in a state that Allah is pleased with me, I don't care to live. I don't care to live till sixty. I don't care because my belief is, when I make dua to Allah and I say, Ya Allah, take me in a state you are pleased with. What does this mean? You know, Ya Allah, if this moment right now is a state you're going to be pleased with me, and for me to die now means I'm guaranteed heaven. Take me now. I don't need to live till 60 because you never know what might happen. I might lose my faith. You know, the hadith says people, some Muslims wake up in the Muslim a believer and by the end of the day, they're a disbeliever. And some people wake up a disbeliever and by the end of the day, they're a believer. There's no guarantee that I'm going to be a believer. By the, after this phone call, I might do something that brings me out the fold of Islam. Mm-hmm. So, and this is why, uh, also, I just want to make it very clear also to the non-Muslim viewers, Right? Especially to those, I don't know what kind of viewers you have, especially to those that believe that, you know, uh, Muslims are whatever terrorists or whatever they want to say. Um, I just want to say to, you know, if you guys want Islam to stop spreading, stop making so much noise about Islam. <laughs> because let me tell you something. Islam is spreading quicker in your countries than in our countries because of the amount of advertising mm-hmm. you're doing. In France... Because of the ban of the hijab and the burqa, there are more Muslim women now that are French than there was ever before. Because they are looking into the religion. After, and I'm so sorry for the people that passed away in the tragic incident of 9-11. Tragic incident. However, because of the media trying to blame it on Muslims, when obviously you might want to say it's a conspiracy, we all know that George Bush had a hand to play in it. The way that the house felt was not just through the air, you know, the, the plane hitting the building. But because of all of the things that happened around that, the spike of Muslims in America after 9-11 was something unheard of. In England, Islam is still spreading. Why? Because people keep trying to tarnish the name of Muslims. So what do people go and do? They read the Quran, they research the religion, and they find the truth. Because Islam is the only religion in the world that has no contradictions. We're the only religion in the world that are very firm on what we believe. We Our values dictate our life 
through the, the religion. We don't change the religion to suit us. It's impossible. You can't do it as a Muslim. You understand that you may be committing a sin, but that does not mean that we now say drinking is allowed. We never, we would, you will never hear a Muslim say that. A Muslim will always say, I'm sinning by drinking. I shouldn't be drinking. Or I shouldn't be doing this. So we don't, the, the religion don't fold for us. We fold for the religion. And it's a way of life that, um, you know, it, it, again, guys, if you're non-Muslim, I honestly urge you, please uh, read the Quran. And I'll, I'll just share this very quickly. Uh, I was raised and born Muslim, yes. But I went away from my religion. And I only came back to the religion when I researched the religion, when I learned about the religion, when I read the Quran in the language, language I understood. So don't think that I'm saying this as somebody who's because I'm born Muslim and I'm lucky. No. The Western society chewed me up and spat me out. I was caught up in it. And I'm preaching this to you because I only found the religion when I researched the religion. Not because of what my parents told me or what people told me in the mosque. No, when I researched the book, when I opened the Quran, if you, if you, if you can find this copy of the Quran anywhere, get it, read it. Get it and read it. And if I have another one... And this one, right? Both English translations. If you can find either of these copies of the Quran, get them and read them. I've, give, I've gifted these to some of my friends, and my friends read them, and they ask me questions about them. They're very curious about them. There's a reason why it's a religion in the world, guys. Please research it. It's, it's, it's for the betterment of your life, not for anything else. In our religion, Allah tells us, or the Prophet tells us, love for your brother what you love for yourself. If I know a way to make a million pounds, I'm going to share it with you. This is worth more than a million pounds. Read it. And then you can find me and tell me that your life changed for the better. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I mean, I think that's a, a great point to end the podcast. It's been a pleasure. It's been uh, deep going into some of those topics there. So, uh, you know, I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for being on. Um, before we leave, any last words of advice for people struggling right now with their minotaurs? Um, and secondly, who is your ideal client and how can people get in touch with you? Okay, uh, dealing with minotaurs. Number one, guys, I just want to say, fear exists in all of us, and it's an emotion. Don't fight fear. Embrace fear and utilize fear. The minute you utilize fear to your advantage, you become unstoppable because you appreciate that fear exists in you, and now you're utilizing it to become a monster and go after what you want. Number that's the first thing. Number two, I urge every single viewer here to start a business. I don't care what it is. Actually, I do care. Don't go selling drugs. But go <laughs> take that first step, okay? Take that first step. Start a business. You, the possibilities are endless. Opportunities are endless. Me and Z wouldn't be talking right now if he didn't take that first step to start his podcast and if I didn't take that first step to start doing what I'm doing, okay? Um, and number three, how to overcome any roadblocks, any challenges, any fears. I always say a pen and paper can be your best friend. Your mind is always clogged up with too many thoughts, too much self-doubt, too many negative things going in and going in up there, going on up there. Get a pen and paper, just write that, just write everything down in front of you, and you'll see nothing ever is what it seems in your mind. Ever. So that's a quick tip. How to find me if you're somebody who's interested in uh, increasing and improving the productivity and performance of your team within your business, your employee engagement, um, come and find me. I will help you, I will help you and empower you to become a better CEO or if you're a C-level executive that's trying to take your business to the next level, will you utilize the SAFER framework, uh, which is a framework that I developed, created, and utilized over a 12-month period, which is basically we break down the skeleton of your business, the alignment of your business, the frequency and fluidity of your business, uh, the environmental and the employees of your business, 
um, and how to empower you and then the riches of your business. And we break this down, it's obviously broken down a lot further over a 12 month period where we basically, in a nutshell, look at your vision, your strategy, your mission. Um, and we do this all using cost-effective methods. So I'm not asking you, I wouldn't ask you to invest in more marketing. We will make you more money doing the same things in your business, but all that changes is how we improve everybody's performance in the business and the productivity in, the, in everybody. So if you have an employee that's performing at a seven, we get them to an 8.5, a nine, a 10. You haven't invested in more, any more money. It's the same individual working the same amount of hours, earning the same amount of money, but now they've given you better results. And over a 12 month period, you'll see your business uh, 1x, 2x, 3x, 10x, whatever, depending on you and your business. So yeah, Mr. Monot, if you want to reach out and have a conversation with me, man. Find me on LinkedIn or whatever. Yeah, so, so where, where can they find you? Is it your LinkedIn uh, or your website? I'm mainly on LinkedIn. I'm mainly, I'm mainly on LinkedIn. Uh, so Osama Musa. And um, if, you, if you're a Muslim and you want to keep up with uh, leadership inspiration, you can follow my business page, which is Muslim Amir. Uh, we're a consultancy, uh, a Muslim consultancy for Muslims by Muslims. Uh, and we aim to empower and develop uh, your leadership skills and improve. And uh, so we aim, we're basically developing Muslim leaders and building Muslim businesses for a brighter future. And that's what we do. So Alhamdulillah. SubhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you today and inshallah we can uh, have another episode another time inshallah inshallah definitely well once again thank you for being here I will drop the links to those uh, profiles and, and our websites in the comments section below hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and I will see you in the next episode take care now bye bye if you liked this episode it would mean a lot if you would please rate and write a review please also subscribe so you get notified anytime a new episode drops thank you for tuning in now go out and attack your minotaur